0: You are listening to Work Human Radio, pioneered by GloboForce, bringing more humanity to today's workplaces. You are enjoying our special edition coverage, recorded live from Phoenix, Arizona, and Work Human 17. And now, here are today's hosts.
1: All right. Good morning and welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Hotch, and joined by my friend and colleague, Ray Ann Thorne. We're in for a treat now.
2: We are, talking going to
1: be a fascinating conversation. Let's jump right to it. We have a lot to talk about and not enough time. We're joined this morning by Greg Stevens. He's a lead researcher at the Work Human Research Institute. Greg, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And we're also joined by Adam Grant, a professor at Wharton School of Business and a best-selling author. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Gentlemen, I appreciate both of you making time. Adam, especially, uh, you're a busy fellow, so grateful for you swinging by. And uh, You just got hot off of your keynote speech here at Work Human 17, so uh, grateful for you stopping by. Lead us off and give us a quick overview of the main point and message of that presentation, please.
3: Well, I think we all have ideas for how we can improve the world around us, and we often get stuck not knowing how to communicate them and how to build organizations where people are willing to take them seriously and maybe even implement them. And so a lot of the the presentation was about trying to figure out how you make sure that when you come up with an original idea, people don't say, you're insane. Let's not talk (laughs) to you
2: anymore. Oh, that's I've struggled with that my whole life. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, this idea, though, I mean, I think, that the, the, in my view, and I'm sure you observed this too in your research, too many organizations discourage original ideas. Why, how have we gotten there? Why is that so prevalent in our workplaces today? I
3: think people are worried that if they encourage a lot of original thinking, then nothing will ever get done, right? right? You have all these creative people spinning their wheels, you have tons of ideas, and zero execution. And I think we've we pushed too far on that, and we have too much conformity, too many people sort of mm. following the rules and direction of others, as opposed to asking, well, what can I contribute that might be novel and useful?
2: Is there concern for revolt as well? I mean, if, if you're encouraging original thought, maybe somebody's going to have a better thought than the current leaders.
3: Yeah, that's a huge risk people's new ideas can be tremendously threatening. And there's right. also just the concern that you're giving voice to the class clowns and the black sheep. Uh, right? it's like,
2: who happen to be louder, usually. Yeah, you know, right. stay, stay out of my
3: way. Like, right. I'm, I'm trying to do something organized and efficient here.
2: I see, I see. And I know, Greg, you're um, a lead researcher at the Work Human Research Institute. What What does that entail, and how has that led you to conversations with Adam?
0: broadly it's an approach to uh, making organizations more human and we explore that through a variety of different ways either it's the employee experience uh, it's looking at the social recognition that people receive um, and we linked up with Adam to really explore how recognition could support this notion of originality because basically recognition is folks recognizing the contributions of others
3: and it's huge because so often people are afraid to speak up with their ideas and when you ask them, there's actually some fascinating research on this by Jim Diemer, uh, excuse me, Jim Dieter and Amy Edmondson, where they ask people, like, why are you afraid? Have you ever seen someone punished for speaking up? Well, no, but, you know, like, your boss might cut your throat. Right. Or, you know, you could get fired. Well, sh- show me an example. Well, like, I can't think of one, but I, I know what happens. I'm really, really <laughs> concerned about it. And I think when you recognize people who have spoken up effectively or even who have, you know, championed new ideas that didn't work out, but you still show that you value that, it just, it takes away the fear factor. And it also convinces people that, in fact, this is not an exercise in futility. Speaking up can be worthwhile. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and are class clowns more likely to have good original ideas than introverts, say? Uh,
3: I wouldn't say the two groups are mutually exclusive. So there, okay. there are actually some introverted class clowns out there.
2: Oh, <laughs> how do we find out about them, though? Um, we
3: never do, right? <laughs> there you but, go. No, I think that um, on average, introverts do tend to score slightly more creative than extroverts. Um, and you know the question is, do they learn how to communicate and express their ideas effectively or not?
2: That, that's Talk, a really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Talk about conformity. I, I think the the idea, I mean, the whole theme of this event and this work human movement is to bring humanity back to the workplace. And I think why, why, why there's such a problem and missing in our workplaces is that we're all trying to be conformists and we think that's the right path. That's the culture that we have been observing for too, too long.
2: That'll make the boss happy
1: also. <laughs> But does it? Because I think the long-term ramification of, of this conformity in this non-human environment is you don't get the, the, the benefit long-term, right? Talk about yeah. how, how we break out of this and become non-conformists.
3: Well, the reality is that conformity usually does make your boss happy. The problem is it doesn't make your boss's boss happy, right? Middle managers are often the ones who are most concerned with everybody sort of walking in line and following each other's rules. Um, but as you move higher, there's much more of a premium placed on new ideas, on disruptive thinking. And I think that you know, we obviously, if you want to start a movement, let's talk about work human, right? We, we need people to follow someone. But conformity, I think, is dangerous because it's about blindly following others just right. to fit in because you're, you're concerned about standing out. And I think that an effective movement, what it does is it has a group of people who say, I believe in the vision and the ideas here, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to follow because I don't want something bad to happen to me.
1: Greg, talk about how recognition and that whole process begins to crack the shell.
0: Yeah, and I think it gets back to what Adam described in terms of starting a movement. Um, you know, looking at people who uh, receive praise from others are then more likely to go on and look for opportunities to praise others. And I suspect that we find the same things happening with originality where uh, people who are able to express their own originality are now on the lookout for originality and others perhaps a little bit more than in kind of the more conformity focused organization like you were mentioning. Greg, that was a really brilliant idea. Do you feel more <laughs> creative now? <laughs> a little bit.
2: So one of the things that's being talked about so much lately is diversity, whether it's um, in your workforce or in, in what you've presented here, maybe diversity of thought, thinking a little bit outside the lines, not being afraid to color outside those lines. So what what can you tell us about what you've discovered, what you what you each have discovered when you consider diversity, either on all, both of those planes, whether it... Hiring or maintaining, managing the talent that comes in, maybe managing it a different way than we're used to, and also original thought.
3: I think that we obviously spend a lot of time thinking and talking about surface diversity, right? Demographic differences. Right. Incredibly important. We also care a lot about deep diversity, right? Do people think differently? Do they look at problems in different ways? And the good news is that the two are often connected. I think that one of the mistakes we make is when we, we think about diversity, we cover sort of the surface elements, and then we feel like we've checked the box, and we forget that leveraging the benefits of diversity actually requires work, right? You can't just say, like, I'm going to build Noah's Ark, and I'm going to have two of each kind, and then it's all good. Like, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll let it, yeah, right. done, right? Done. <laughs> um, what, what tends to work, uh, one of my favorite things I've, I've watched some leaders do is say, you know, anytime we're making an important decision or trying to come up with a creative solution to a problem, let's have the leader speak last so that everybody gets a chance to weigh in with their opinion. They don't know what the leader's preference is yet, so there's no incentive <laughs> to conform,
0: and then you give everybody a voice. Yeah, yeah And I'll just add on to that, this, this growing notion of inclusion um, that seems to be a hallmark of uh, this movement and then also uh, a lot of our research where we look into the employee experience at work as this holistic, whole-person approach to understanding what you bring to the workplace. And that involves a lot of these um, type topics that we've been describing, being able to express yourself, but also receiving that, that recognition and that feedback from others as validation of, of your identity as a, as a professional, as a human being, uh, as a coworker, whatever label you want to place on that.
1: Do you, gentlemen, think that, I mean, everything we've been, in essence, talking about on this, on this broadcast, these ideas of diversity of thought and, and original thinking and encouraging and, and rewarding and recognizing, do you think there's enough obvious awareness in most management leadership teams that how much, how important that is in towards feeding creativity and innovation and problem solving? Do you sense that there's enough keen understanding of the power of all these things, feeds those? Most of the leaders that I work with I think are aware of how
3: important this is. What they're not aware of is all the actions they're taking to block original thinking.
1: Are they even aware of that?
3: I I think very frequently they're not. Um, One of the things we talked about is we see a lot of leaders who, you know, who say like, don't bring bring me problems, bring me solutions. And they don't realize that they're discouraging people from bringing up the problems that they don't know how to solve. And that they're also encouraging people when they have a solution just to try to sell it to everybody else as opposed to trying to learn from everybody else's ideas. And, you know, that's just one small example, but I would love to see more leaders actually ask the question, you know, what am I doing that's shutting down diversity of thought and that's shutting down voice? And then how can I do a better job of recognizing people for their ideas
0: and contributions? Mm -hmm. And I can speak to some research we've done with our clients that have, they've asked us the question, what groups are really sparking this originality idea? Uh, Where is recognition happening? And uh, how is it happening best? And uh, you know, the fact that they're asking those questions gives me great hope that they really want to know the answers to this, that it's looking at two outcomes. It's for the person and it's for the organization uh, and really kind of positioning what they do to address both of those.
1: So Adam, where do we go from here? I mean, so uh, awareness is a key part of this problem, understanding what's possible. Making the organizational and cultural shift is a whole different matter, though. So, uh, any advice and counsel to a uh, leadership team who's listening to this, to say, "All right, I, I'm getting this. I'm beginning to understand the power of this. How do I begin to move this mountain? How do you start?"
3: The starting point I usually see leadership teams choose is, "We need more devil's advocates in the room. We know we have too many majority opinions. You know, too many familiar solutions. So, we're going to ask somebody to, you know, to really challenge us and bring a minority perspective." And I think this is a great idea with one tiny wrinkle. It doesn't work. (laughs) There are now four decades of evidence led by Charlotte Nemeth at Berkeley showing that devil's advocates rarely convince anyone of anything, and more often they leave people more convinced of their pre-existing beliefs. One, they're just playing a role, and so they don't argue forcefully. Two, everybody else knows they're playing a role, so they don't take the person seriously. Instead of assigning a devil's advocate, the best thing to do is to unearth a devil's advocate. That means finding the authentic dissenter who genuinely has a different perspective and inviting that person into the room and, and giving them a voice. When you do that, you actually see that decision quality and creativity improve because the person now is arguing from a much more credible position and everyone knows it. And, you know, th- this is actually like leaders get it. They're yeah, I, I, I need the people who really believe in the ideas they're going to champion. But what if they're wrong? Like what if I invite the person to the conversation and they have a bad idea? And my answer is, I love when that happens because I enjoy seeing companies fail. No, I I like to see that happen because minority opinions improve decision-making and creativity even when they are factually incorrect because they stimulate divergent thinking, they force people to re-examine their assumptions, and that's ultimately good for the way
0: that we work. Any additional
1: thoughts on that based on your research?
0: Yeah, and the one thing I would add, and I think Adam mentioned this at the end of his session, was use data. Uh, Follow where the evidence takes you. And... um, and particularly use your own data. I think a lot of organizations are in a position to understand their dynamics if they would analyze the data that they have, uh, perhaps in new and interesting ways. And, And I think that's one of the goals of our research institute is to help companies see their own data in new ways uh, and really help drive the movement forward.
1: Well, as I always like to say, we're really good at collecting data, we're really lousy at doing meaningful, actionable things with it, so. <laughs> Using it. Yeah. Well, so, gentlemen, uh, we're about out of time. Uh, Greg, before I let you all go, uh, where can people go to learn more about the WorkHuman Research Institute?
0: Uh, it can be found at workhuman.com alongside all of the other interesting sessions and speakers that are occurring at the conference. And
1: Adam, where can people learn about your work and your great best-selling books?
0: Cleverly, adamgrant.net.
1: Outstanding. Adam Grant, uh, author and professor at the Wharton School of Business, and Greg Stevens, the lead researcher at the Work Human Research Institute. Adam, Greg, gentlemen, it was great to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. That is all the time we have for now. Todd and Rayanne signing off from Phoenix. We'll see you again soon on Work Human Radio. Work Human Radio
0: is brought to you by Globoforce, pioneers of the work human movement. Globoforce helps make work more human for millions of people and organizations worldwide. Learn more by visiting Globoforce.com and join the work human movement by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Work Human Community Forum on LinkedIn. Thanks again for listening to Work Human Radio.